Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Friday, December 1st, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm speaking today with health editor Renee Gertzand and education correspondent Gabriel Fisk. Hi, good morning to you both. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning. Hi there. It is day 56 of the war. Uh, Tomorrow, Saturday, this Shabbat will be eight weeks since October 7th, when Hamas terrorists attacked the Gaza border communities, killing some 1,200 civilians and abducting more than 200 to Gaza. The IDF renewed its attacks on Hamas early Friday morning, as the terrorist group did not provide Israel by 7 a.m. a list of hostages to be released today, and additionally fired rockets at Israel at the community of Cholit. The Prime Minister's office said in a statement that Hamas has, quote, violated the framework, did not meet its obligation to release all hostages hostage women specifically, and fired rockets at Israel. In that statement, it said that the return to combat is directed toward achieving the goals of the war, releasing the remaining 137 hostages, limiting Hamas, and ensuring that Gaza can never again threaten the people of Israel. That's end quote from the prime minister's office. During the week-long pause that we just had in fighting, 105 civilians were released from Hamas captivity including 81 Israelis, 23 Thai nationals, and one Filipino. Today on The Daily Briefing, we'll discuss the health of those released hostages, what doctors are saying, and what their continued care looks like. We'll also talk about pop-up schools for evacuees and just generally what is happening in terms of the educational system in Israel right now. And we'll take a special look at the wartime edition of the Book of Genesis. All of that after a quick break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Okay, Renee. So you have, of course, been very deeply involved in covering what is happening at the Israeli hospitals each night as each group of released hostages arrives back in Israel um, from the border with Egypt and is immediately ferried to one of the receiving hospitals. Um, There have been the waves of children that, for the most part, happened earlier in the week, the elderly, several people with serious injuries, and in one case, uh, an elderly woman who was in very serious condition. What can you tell us about their conditions, about the ongoing care? What are we hearing from the hospitals? 
So uh, just to take one step back, just to remind everyone that as early as of um, October 7th, the health ministry and the welfare ministry put together, began putting together protocols for receiving returning hostages to make sure that their physical and uh, emotional care was taken care of with additional plans to continue coordinated care uh, once the former hostages go back to their homes, go back to the community. So we are trying to piece together uh, information on the health of the returning hostages. It's a little hard to know because of privacy issues, of course. Uh, we can only get sort of a general picture. Um, we hear every day from the the doctors at the hospital, there's usually a senior doctor who comes out and gives some type of update. And we're hearing that, generally speaking, the physical health of the uh, returnees is okay, is considered considered okay we don't it's not stellar of course but they're there we see that most of them are returning on their feet they're able to walk um, but they all undergo in extensive medical tests and psychosocial evaluations when they get to the hospitals uh, and then a tailored program for recovery is developed for each person um we do know that almost, I think, all of the returnees are coming back undernourished. We're hearing stories from their families who speak to the media about how some of them, there were days when some of the hostages were not given food or they were given very, very minimal food uh, and it was not nutritious. Uh, and at Ichilov Hospital, they uh, shared with the media that the children that they had there that had returned had lost between 10 and 17 percent of their body weight in less than two months. And as we know, for children, uh, nutrition is so important. They're growing so quickly. Their cells are dividing very quickly. And to lose 10 to 17 percent of their body weight is very serious. Um, and what the medical staff is trying to do is reintroduce nutrition in a very responsible way to avoid what's called refeeding syndrome, where uh, if uh, too much food and too much fluid is reintroduced too quickly, someone who is uh, malnourished can actually get incredibly sick and even die. So they're being very careful to avoid that. Uh, they also have to replenish uh, vitamins. The, the hostages were held either underground or above ground, but in a hidden way. So they were not out in the sunlight for close to two months. So they have vitamin D deficiencies. They have other vitamin deficiencies. So those have, they have to, uh, get vitamin supplements. Um, we do have cases that we know a little bit more about. Uh, we know that uh, Maya Regev, who is at Soroka in Beresheva, she's a 21-year-old who returned on crutches and a bandaged leg. We do we know from her last messages to her father at the Nova Festival that she was being shot. So uh, presumably she has uh, gunshot wounds 
wounds to the leg. Uh, her leg was shattered and it needed to be reconstructed properly. Uh, back here in Israel, she underwent one surgery to stabilize the leg. She's going to need further surgeries. And uh, the doctor there said she, she has a long recovery and rehabilitation ahead. She was, uh, by the way, reunited a few days later with her brother, 18-year-old Itai, which was a very touching uh, reunion. Unbelievably so. Yes. And uh, we just saw last night Mia Shem was released. She uh, was in one of the, uh, she was in the first propaganda video that Hamas released. And we saw that her arm was bandaged or in a sling in that uh, video. And she came home with her right arm in at, uh, at 90 degrees, she wasn't able to move that arm. And she, we hear from her, her aunt apparently told the media that her, her, uh, Mia's arm was operated on by a veterinarian in Gaza, which is horrible. Uh, so we don't know exactly what the injury is, presumably a, a gunshot wound, but she's going to need, uh, treatment here. I also heard her say that she did her own physical therapy. Yes. While she was in captivity, which I also thought was... Right, I was wrapping my head around that. Yeah, and uh, another story that's been uh, well covered is Elma Avraham, an octogenarian who returned in life-threatening conditions. The doctor said that had she returned one day later, she may not have made it. Uh, Her daughter came out and uh, really blasted into the Red Cross for not visiting her mother, not giving her her medications. She is, Elma is now off her off the ventilator that she had to be put on, but she is still in the ICU and uh, doctors are doing everything they can to help her, rec- God willing, recover. Um, the hostages were held in different conditions. Um, we're hearing... Uh, you know, some were in solitary confinement, some were beaten, some were told not to talk. So we hear about young children uh, still whispering. Uh, they're they're afraid to open to open their mouth properly. Uh, we also notice that many of the former hostages, if you just look at them as you know in the pictures and in the videos that are on the TV, uh, we see that they're very glassy eyed. They really are traumatized. Uh, they sort of are staring. There's no life in their eyes. So we can presumably assume uh, that they there are considerable mental health issues to be de- dealt with. The hospitals have helped, have hinted at this, but of course, for privacy concerns, they're not saying anything um, specific. Um, people, some of the hostages have been released from the hospital. It's an individual approach that the doctors are taking. Uh, when they feel that someone is ready to go home or someone feels they want to go home and the doctors agree, then they are uh, discharged. Others have decided to stay much longer in the hospital for their recovery and the hospitals are, uh, 
you know, happy to have them for as long as necessary. They have the staff there that has been specially trained to help. And uh, as I said, to help then coordinate with ongoing care uh, within the community once they are discharged. Thank you so much, Renee. That was enlightening in a sense. Okay, we're going to take another break. And when we're back, Gabrielle will tell us about schooling and what has been happening for all the various different kinds of students that are out there, evacuated university students, what's really happening on the ground. The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so Gabrielle, tell us what you can tell us. Uh, there are the evacuees from the south and from the north. There's the university students, many of whom are reserve soldiers, pop-up schools that, have t- that are all over the country. Okay, well, first we should mention that in the central, central part of the country, in Tel Aviv area, the Home Front Command has set the schools back to yellow, meaning there's this color-coded system, and under the, when it's yellow, that means schools can only hold in-person classes if they have enough protected space bomb shelters um, in their schools for the amount of students and staff that are present. Now, it turns out most of the schools, their bomb shelters aren't big enough for the entire classes and their staff, which is a whole other issue. Um, so it means basically today that a lot of this, or already some schools in Tel Aviv have notified that they'll do Zoom schooling and the Tel Aviv municipality put out a notice to that effect as well. It is Friday, so a lot of the high schools are not in session anyway. Tel Aviv schools only went back to regular schooling, what, a week ago? Yeah, that's right. So they were in yellow for quite some time. And, you know, as the campaign in Gaza has progressed, there's been less rocket fire. And so eventually they felt that they were able to return. Um, There's been a lot of issues with that, with the Tel Aviv municipality specifically, um, because they didn't always accept the Home Front Command's directives to go back to in-person schooling. There's 52,000 displaced students in total. Those are evacuees from the Gaza envelope and from the communities bordering Lebanon in the north. Uh, so that's quite a lot of students to, to, to deal with. And, you know, they're scattered around the country. They're in all these different locations. And so we've seen combination of things. One is the sort of phenomenon of civil society and all these organizations and groups that have spaces where they're able to house these communities and also open spaces for the children. Um, at first, in the beginning of the war, a month ago, six weeks ago, there were just sort of informal learning spaces where there was a place for kids to go and they would have some activities, volunteer activities. But then um, over time, the education ministry was able to step in and sort of organize it more, and they basically have created these sort of pop-up schools all around the country. They're either housed in some of these facilities, there's one in the National Library of Israel, they're in all these different universities, wherever they could, Uh, but they were formal temporary schools run by the education ministry. They said there's 351 of them right now. Um, 
Yeah, it is. It really is a lot. And there's so many aspects to this. There's all these educators who are coming out of retirement. A lot of people who are recently retired have been called up and they're going back to to sort of run, even in some cases, run these schools or to be involved. You had one from who went to a lot. She, this retired educator who literally moved down to a lot temporarily. That's right. But she was a high-ranking official in the Jerusalem municipal education system. And she retired. And she had, but then they called her a couple of days after October 7th. And they basically called her up and said, we need to set something up on Elat. Can you go down? She went down with her husband, who is disabled, by the way. And she's basically been there in a hotel since then, um, running the schools, the pop, these pop-up schools um, for the evacuees. And it's a quite a complex thing that, you know, all the different municipalities and regional councils are also involved with setting up these schools and involved with the life of the evacuees. They've been building actual schools, temporary schools, in, in sort of open space where they could bring in some caravans and prefab structures, or maybe there was some structure that was already there. Um, and they're building um, these temporary schools. No one knows how long that they will last, but it doesn't seem like it's likely people are going home anytime soon. I, I went to Nakhcholim, which is a kibbutz in the north. It's north of Zikron Yaakov. It's right on the beach. It's beautiful. The hotel, they have a kibbutz hotel that had opened up completely for the evacuees. So there was whole families living in these bungalows and they had the whole school set up, you know, and wherever they could inside there, uh, K to 12. And on one hand, it was very pastoral and beautiful. And, you know, all the parents were there because they're evacuees, they don't have their jobs. So they're, they're involved with the education. This week, they opened two schools in a nearby kibbutz. And so they're going to move the kids uh, not the kindergarten, but the secondary and primary. Um, all the educators I talked to really talked about, there were two things, really. One was getting the children back to some sort of regular schedule, right? Having regular activities, either as it may, whatever it is. And the other thing was, um, with the exception of some high school students and people involved with high school, they weren't really so concerned with regular academic progress. They weren't really, they weren't going to say, okay, we're all going to, you know, do all this math and do all this history. And we're going to, they were more concerned with having the regular schedule, having the social life um, of all these children, many of whom have been traumatized in different ways, um, sort of back to normal or some semblance of normal. Um, high school schoolers are a little more serious. I think it's a, people who are in 11th and 12th grade now, they're about to join the army. At that age, they're already thinking about what they're going to do in the army. And there's a war. There's this issue of the Bagrut, which are the matriculation exams. And they have said that they're going to reschedule those tests because not just for the evacuees, but for everybody. And it's still uncertain when they're going to have those or how they're going to do that. Just give us an update about what's happening with universities, which of course were supposed to start in mid-October. Well, it's a bit of a mess. You know, the universities, because of the age of their students, a lot of them are in Miluim, are in the reserve duty. It's about 30% of all the university students in Israel are currently serving the reserve duty, which is quite a lot, plus thousands of the faculty and staff of all the universities. So the major research universities, since the war began, have pushed off the start of their semester. It was supposed to start a week after, uh, on October 15th. So they've pushed it off a few times, and the, the current date that they're going to maybe begin is the 24th of December, which is a little over three weeks from today. And But that was contingent on enough students getting released from their reserve duty to make that happen. And they're supposed to 
given notice two weeks before. So basically, there's 10 more days for them to decide if that, if that date is going to work or not. And if it doesn't work, um, there'll be more serious issues. And just give us a line about this, uh, the Koran, which is a local, actually, Jerusalem publisher. So Koran Publishers is one of the oldest publishers of uh, Jewish holy texts. And they've been receiving a lot of requests from soldiers in the field to get all their stuff. So they had a fundraising and a lot of volunteers for transport. They sent out all these prayer books and Tehillim, which are Psalms. And then they got a lot of requests because the Torah reading cycle was starting just as the war was beginning. People wanted to keep up with it and and keep up. So they created a, a special edition of the book of Genesis, the, the first of the five books of Moses, so people could keep up with the Torah reading cycle, which was just beginning. And so it's a super compact edition. It's paperback, just that one book. It fits in a pocket of ID of uniform. They even got their CEO was doing his reserve duty. So he sent in the foreword by phone from the front and they typed it up and they used that as the foreword for the book. I, I don't think it's available for sale. They printed up and distributed 15,000 copies um, and they're working on the next one. All right. We'll see how that plays out, obviously, along with everything else. Thank you so much, Gabrielle and Renee, for being with me on today's daily briefing. It's been good to speak with you. Thank you, Jessica. A pleasure. Thank you, Jessica. And thanks to you for listening to the Times Visual's Daily Briefing. Stay tuned for tomorrow's installment. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have comments about this or other episodes, drop us an email, podcast at timesvisual.com. You can also recommend us to other listeners and rate us wherever you find your podcasts. Until next time, take care and Shabbat Shalom. Shalom.